Hey, this is Randy Gage, and you're listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. What's up, Prosperity peeps? Randy Gage here with another award-winning episode of the Power Prosperity Podcast, and I have something delicious and delectable for you today with a very special guest star. Um, I'm loving my new format, which is only one new show a week, a little and going longer in depth. Um, and I'm getting good feedback from you guys. And then one show where we're taking the audio of, um, from my YouTube channel and putting up a topic. And, uh, one of the things I want to do along the way is when I come across intriguing people who are uh, working their way through the pathway to prosperity, I want to bring them to you, kind of like I did with the show with Bob Berg uh, a month or so ago. And our special guest star today is Holly Pree who uh, uh, a lot of you will remember I did a, uh, I put in the podcast one week a brainstorming session for my author apprentice program where Holly was on it and Joey Leslie was on it. And I was talking them through the concept of the book each of them is was committing to write at that time and it's, both are now deep into the writing as we speak. Um, and Holly impressed me so much because of her self-awareness. And she's 25, having just turned 25 like a week ago. Uh, and it's really got a, a, a consciousness and self-awareness that I just believe a lot of 40 and 50-year-olds don't have. And a lot of people don't get their whole life so I thought, uh, and her book is really intriguing. I think millennials will go gaga over it, but I think it's got some powerful lessons for everybody and anyone. So I just thought I would have, as Tim Ferriss likes to call, a wide-ranging conversation. <laughs> so Holly, welcome <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. I've never had anyone describe me or my life as delicious and delectable, but I'll add that to the list of adjectives. <laughs> add it to the list. Add it to the list. <laughs> um, so let's start with the million-dollar question from my perspective is, how on earth does somebody at your age get so self-aware. What, what do you think? And I know it's hard to talk about uh, self-introspection stuff like this, but but what do you think? What influenced you? What guided you? What uh, caused you to take the path that you've taken so far? What what comes to mind if I just throw that out there? Okay, you threw the same question out to me last time we talked, and so I've had about two months to think about it, and I will have a better answer for you now. I think what made the difference is that my entire childhood was full of way more questions than it was answers. I was always, I was never being handed answers, ever. 
except in, you know, elementary and middle school. But even after middle school, I escaped and I got into a high school that was all about questions. So I'll give you an example. When I would be trying to, you know, complete my chores and vacuum something and the vacuum wasn't working, my parents would say, are you going to let that vacuum be smarter than you? And that was not oh, it's fine, do this, here's the answer to your problem. It was, well, now you have to be a makeshift engineer. Now you have to Google how to fix a vacuum. Now you have to this, that, the other thing, right? So I was picking up random skills constantly because everything was more of a question mark than uh, a period, you know? And then when I went to high school, I was in this high school that was actually an experiment. It was a model for what public education could look like, and everything was problem-based learning, team-based learning, 21st century skills, and every single project started with a driving question. And it was open-ended, and there was not an answer to it. Uh, for example, the first project we ever did there, it was, it was called, Is the Hudson River Nasty? That was the question we had to answer. We learned all about- Is the Hudson River Nasty? Wait, it was, it was is the it, Hudson- Hudson River nasty? Is the Hudson River nasty? Yes. N-A-S-T-Y. N-A-S-T-Y, meaning like, is it dirty and gross? Okay, all right. There's not a right answer, right? There's not a right answer. Mm -hmm. So it taught us a million things about, like, you know, how do you write subjectively but in a compelling way? How do you use evidence to prove a point. How do you test water quality? How do you do this? How do you do that? How do you understand the standards for things? Just a million things integrated into it. And I think both having my parents challenge me in the ways they did, leave things open-ended, as well as four years of daily practice in high school, which I think is really what made the significant difference. Uh, There were never right answers. There were only more informed, uh, higher thinking, you know, like it was always about how can you do better thinking, better questioning, better prompting, better informing, better collecting, better researching, and it just led me to always have that mindset. So when I look at things now, I don't look at a simple problem and say, how can I fix it? I look at a simple problem and say, what caused it? What are the parallels? What are the patterns behind it? How can I expand it to this? How can I relate it to that? How can I? So it's not, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's just a mindset that was conditioned in me mm-hmm. because I, I just did it for so many years when I was asked to do it. It's a habit, a mental habit, I guess. So parents were a part of that. How would you describe your relationship to your parents now? and versus then? Interesting question. So I would say through my parents' divorce, my siblings and I formed really tight bonds with each other and really, really weak, really weakened the relationships with my parents. Um, Mm -hmm. I believe that this book is going to change that because I am – and I'll say it all throughout, I'm writing, I'm designing the answers that I need just as much as my fellow millennials need them. And one of the big things that I am talking about is, uh, is the blame game that we're playing, you know, and how when we don't know how to solve the problem, we solve whose fault it is. 
So both our parents mm-hmm. and us are solving whose fault it is and deciding it's each other's. And uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to urge millennials with good reason to let your parents off the hook and put yourself on it. And so mm-hmm. I don't have great relationships with my parents right now. And it may not look like that to the outside world, but, you know, we, we know our own inner realities and how much we can speak about them openly and share those realities with each other. And I don't think I have a strong relationship with either of my parents right now. But I think I will after this because I'm I'm going to let them off the hook and put myself on it. Is there was there one thing or was it just the divorce that you think was the seminal moment or the turning point in that relationship? Well, it's interesting because you know, when my, my siblings and I are all within six years of each other, and so we're at similar points in life, similar stages, and similar ages, and, you know, when, when we're all in really bad moods, a couple of years ago when we would get in the group chat and have everything to complain about, you know, about our parents, uh, we, we could identify a million things as the point, as the point at which everything went wrong or the point at which everything is still going wrong, but but what's interesting is that the skills and the mindsets that they taught us were what caused us to say, I don't like that behavior. I don't want to do that. I don't want, I don't want, you know, like my, my mom taught us tons of brilliant things. For example, uh, you don't get to decide how you made the other person feel. You decide how you're going to respond to them feeling that way. You take ownership or you don't take ownership and accept the consequences, things like that. So when we come back and say, you taught me that mentality. What do you mean that you're not going to take ownership? What do you mean you think you can tell me how I feel, blah, blah, you know, things like that. Uh, That's just been a really interesting dynamic in this whole thing because our parents are what conditioned us to be brilliant kids. It's not just me. My siblings are the exact same way on different topics, but they're the ones that condition this brilliant critical thinking intelligence in us. And now it's part of what is causing the problem. But I think what the three of us, my siblings and I are doing are challenging ourselves to also make that critical thinking part of what's the solution, you know? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Muy interesante. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So share with them the, working title and the concept of the book we finally ended up on for you. Okay. The working title, and I think it's a heavily working title that I, we're not going to go with, to be honest, uh, is Break It Till You Make It. And it's based on the idea that the systems we're using to govern society right now are not working and we need to break them until we need to acknowledge that we are going to break them and we need to make new ones. Uh, from there, it's from the time that I last like looked at that title, I've gotten a lot of clarity on what this book is about. And I, I don't, I think I'm going to move towards a different title and it just hasn't smacked me in the face yet. But the whole point of this book, I'm addressing millennials specifically millennials, not that it doesn't make sense for other people to read this book, it does, but I am writing a book about the fact, and I would call it a fact, that millennials are in a state of emergency. I don't have to tell other millennials that, they know it, right? I look at them and I know they're in crisis. They look at me and they know I'm in crisis. We look around at our friends and our cousins and our classmates and we know we're all in crisis. And even other generations look at us and know we're in crisis. 
I believe that I have a, a very unique viewpoint on why this generation is in a state of emergency. And I also believe, more importantly, that I know what we're going to do about it and I know how we're going to fix it. So this book is about everything from point A to point Z in terms of the millennial meltdown that we're seeing right now. So what's your gut reaction if I give you the premise that the millennial in crisis is not unique that, and I said that all generations are in crisis. If I said that we have become such a clickbait society, we have, you know, the business model of social media, which is eating the world right now, is mm -hmm. pandering to your outrage. Um, I was actually doing the webinar for my Breakthrough You people in the coaching program this morning. And this was one of the issues that I raised with them was that the business model of social media requires um, and allows, and there's technology there that Facebook knows more about you and your preferences than you do and Instagram does. And so if you are a company like Nike or Gatorade or Coca-Cola, you can hire an army of cognitive psychologists and programmers and put them in a room and say, how do we hijack Hallie's attention? How can we get her outraged? And I think of people that I follow on social media as a, as a social experiment, meaning they're not really friends of mine. Uh, we don't have a personal relationship, but they're fascinating because um, there's a guy on Twitter who's a, um, I'm just going to say he's a professional. I don't want to say more than that and single anybody out, throw them under the bus. But he puts out 15 tweets a day on some injustice or another, right? So it's uh, Antonio Brown and it's um, the comedian who made the Andrew Yang jokes and it's the women who don't get equal pay and it's the gun control and it's whatever Trump tweeted an hour ago. And it's so 15 times a day he sends out one of these outraged tweets to write the injustice of the world. And if I was a PhD psychologist, which I'm not, but <laughs> if I was, I could write my whole thesis on his low self-esteem and worthiness issues, which cause him to desperately be addicted and I mean addiction in every total sense of that world, of that word. He's addicted to finding 15 causes that he can champion a day um, to try to feel worthy. And another, again, I'm a, a person on Facebook that I'm connected through 
both being in the same organization is all I'm going to say, <laughs> um, who posts 10 times a day on Facebook with um, whatever Trump did, tweeted, said, you know, this, that, I mean, just, um, and they've created these echo chambers and I, you know, it's, it's an addiction. And neither of them are millennials, and one's a baby boomer, and one's a Gen X or Gen Y or whatever the crap mm -hmm. the acronym is for those guys. Um, so what is that? You know, it's a long, involved mm -hmm. question. But I mean, what's your gut take when I say, "Listen, you'd like to think this is a millennial thing, but I think there's a whole bunch of." In, in, people in a state of emergency now because they're so provoked through all these bots and companies and marketers and social media. There's so much pressure to comply on social yep. media and their friends are at Burning Man or their friend posted their new BMW or their new Tesla. And, um, and then you have all of the government and organized religion and all that other kind of program. Um, and just the whole news media now going to clickbait, emergency, breaking news. There's breaking news every 10 minutes on CNN and Fox News and all those ones. So what do you think when I say, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily just a millennial thing. Yeah, I say I agree, and I address that in this book. I think that the millennial state of emergency is representative of the whole, for sure. I think almost the entire, our entire society is in a state of emergency. What is interesting here is that I, I address why millennials are the, what I consider the, one of the most valuable non-renewable resources we have on this planet. So basically what I'm getting at is everyone's in a state of emergency, but it shows up more clearly on millennials. The problem that we all share, not, not just millennials, but across all the generations, is that the ways we're taught to think, do, be, act, relate, manage ourselves, manage each other, our resources, everything, time and time again produce people that are unhappy, unmotivated, and chronically unsure. We're unsure about everything, right? We're unsure about who we are and why we exist and what we should be doing with our time and our life and our money and our resources. And that's the reason that we're looking for significance anywhere we can get it. We're looking for uh, identity and purpose and direction, and we don't know how to find those things. The world does not know how to make those things available to the average person. So that's why my generation is dressing in ridiculously expensive clothing and, sit and sitting on top of cars they rented for two hours. And that's why other generations are taking to Facebook and trying to be significant, because we don't know how to create that for the average person. I think, you know, I said people are unhappy, people are unmotivated, people are unsure. I think millennials are extra unhappy and extra unsure. And my explanation of that is something that I haven't heard us really ever talk about. I've, I've never heard this discussed. And so what I get to in this book is that a pattern I've noticed in people just in general is that when we can't solve our problems, we manage our awareness of them, right? When we can't solve our problems, we manage our awareness of them. Most people think this problem is unsolvable. Most people think that it's inevitable that you're going to be unhappy and unmotivated and unsure, so we default to managing our awareness of it. We don't actually want to be more aware. We want to be less aware 
because we know, even if not with the language to explain it, we know that there's a correlation between how aware we are and the pain we feel, right? Like it's the same reason that we distract children when they're about to get shocked at the doctor or when they're about to get their ears pierced because there's a relationship between how aware you are and how much pain you feel. We use distractions to manage our own awareness. And the claim that I'm making here, and I know, I know, I know people are going to disagree with me, but the claim that I'm making here is that there is, there was a, a distraction built into the DNA and the fabric of our parents, millennial parents, which are mostly baby boomers, built into the fabric of their generation. There is also one, which we all know is social media and technology, built into the fabric of the generations that came below us or came after us. But I believe that millennials grew up in between these two distractions and that we have we didn't have a, a distraction built into the fabric of our DNA, so we actually have a disgusting amount of awareness, and with that awareness comes much more pain, and we wear that pain. And I know that's going to come as a shock to people who are hearing this because we don't look as a, we don't look like a generation of people who are aware. We look like a generation of people who are aloof and disconnected and apathetic and all of these things. But in reality, we're a generation in so much pain because we are so aware of one particular reality that other people in other generations on the aggregate scale are not as aware of because they have the distractions built in. Yeah, the distraction industrial complex <laughs> is the most powerful force on earth right now. Uh, mm -hmm. That's why Netflix exists. That's why cable TV mm -hmm. exists. It's why video games exist. It's why social media exists. Uh, people are just bored as crap in their lives. And anybody who will give them a distraction or a diversion, they will lovingly, joyfully, gratefully crawl naked over broken glass and throw their credit card at them to, to get that distraction. Uh, so it's a pretty intriguing time. I, I'm very intrigued to see where you where you go in the book with that, uh, on that path yeah. and see, see where it takes you. I think that's going to be a fascinating journey. Yeah. Awareness is a huge topic throughout this book because my my belief is that awareness was folded into the fabric of my generation's DNA. And again, I get why it doesn't look like it, but it was, you know, and I think I think it's like uh if we were all tied to a post and had a rubber band uh, you know, connecting us and you try and run as far away as possible and get snapped back to whatever your origin is. I think the generation above us, our parents, and the generations below us get snapped back to their distraction. I think my generation gets snapped back to our awareness. And we try. We try to use these solutions. Like, we try to use the noisemakers that other people are using. We try to use social media as a distraction. My generation in particular can never get enough of it to outrun the awareness that we have that causes us so much pain, which is both a problem, but also makes us an incredibly valuable resource. Because if we can do something with that awareness that the, my generation is sitting on, then we can really get the ball rolling for people. And it'll trickle up to our parents and down to our children. And 
a huge, huge, huge part of this book is me explaining why our generation right now, like why we're painfully aware. Our awareness is rooted in pain, but I want to make the shift to from painfully aware to gracefully aware, peacefully aware, and powerfully aware, and, and position our awareness as the asset that it truly is. But people aren't seeing it as an asset, which I understand, but I want them to see it as an asset because I really believe that it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to give you a, um, a two-prong question. You can choose whichever prong you want to answer. So prong number one is, what is the surprising revelation you made so far writing the book? Or prong number two, just in life in general, what belief have you changed in the last year? Meaning, what was something you believed one year ago that you don't believe now? Or what is something that you weren't aware of that the process of starting this book made you aware of? What comes to mind if I put out those two tantalizing possibilities? (laughs) Yes, great questions, both of them. Uh, The thing that immediately comes to mind is a belief that I have adopted so strongly, not even in the last year, I would say in the last couple months, that I just, I cannot possibly convince myself otherwise the second this became clear to me. And I, I'm i going to write about it in the book. It's that important. Um, and it's this idea of inheritance, okay? So when we think of inheritance, we think of you know, my my rich dad who died before he could spend all his money. So I got an inheritance, right? I want to completely change what, the way we think about inheritance. So I believe, this is the belief, I believe strongly that there are answers to all those things I said we're unsure of, right? Who am I? Why do I exist? What should I be doing with my time in my life? Uh, I believe all those answers are are sitting up in the sky, already determined, specific to me, specific to you, assigned to me, assigned to you, made for me, made for you, and the only way to gain access to them is to inherit them. I believe you can't buy these answers. You can't look hard enough and find them. You can't work enough overtime at your job that you've put in the sweat and you earned them. You have to inherit them. And that's not the way the world works, right? That's not the way society works. Like, in society, you can buy the things you want. You can buy access to the things you want. You can uh, look hard enough and find them, or you can, quote, unquote, earn them. We don't really talk about inheriting them. But I think, not even I think, I believe, I firmly, firmly believe that all those answers are sitting up in the sky waiting for us to inherit them and that no one knows how to inherit them. That's the problem. I really believe that. One of the things I think we inherit is problems specific to us individualized problems that you, Randy Gage, are meant to solve, that I, Hallie Pree, am meant to solve. And they're so specific to us that other people look at them and either A, can't see them, B, can't see them as problems that are actually solvable, or C, can't solve them, right? That's why it's my personal work. And when I look at the world and see everything's broken and nothing's solved, I think everything broken, everything is broken and nothing is solved because no one knows how to inherit their individualized problems and get to work, right? So I'm at a point now where I think 
I'm gaining access to my inheritance. And I've inherited the first of my individualized problems, and it's the one that I am addressing in this exact book. So my belief now that I really do think I will hold forever is that we don't need to be guessing. We don't need to be guessing, and we don't need to be trying on a million answers to those questions about who we are and why we exist and, you know, all of those things that the answers are determined and assigned to you. You just have to know how to inherit them. And that's what I'm working on every day. I'm working on, on inheriting those answers, and I'm working on figuring out how to teach other people how to inherit those answers so people can in, inherit not only their purpose and their direction and their identities, their authenticated identities, but also the problems specific to them. Like, I believe that there is someone on this earth assigned to solve suicide, assigned to solve murder, assigned to solve these problems that other people would look at and say, that's not solvable. But that's exactly what I said. If it's not specific to you, you either can't see it, can't see it as solvable, or can't solve them. Of course, everything's broken if we don't have people inheriting their problems and getting to work. So that's the belief that has been blowing my mind. Uh, and I have to be honest, I don't think I came up with that. I think I inherited that. Like, I think someone dropped that idea in my mind, and I'm going to run with it. But that was one of the tools I needed to like really, really understand what I'm trying to do with this book. So I wrote Risky is the New Safe and Mad Genius to clarify my own philosophy, my own introspection, my own line of thinking of, you know, this existential question we have, which is, you know, what are we here for? What are, what is the meaning of life? And that took me to the future. And what happens with the TED AI conference where two microchips are having a discussion and saying, what do we do with these freaking humans? You know? They're so, you know, they keep shooting each other over spaces, parking spaces at Whole Foods on Saturday. They destroy the planet. They're so consumptuous. You know, how do we deal with them, right? And so I pose those kind of questions in both those books. And kind of in my own journey to sort out the answers. And I just started reading last week a book that came out uh, last year from Yuval Noah Harari, who is a um, historian from Israel. He's the guy who wrote um, Sapiens and Homo Deus. And this one is kind of the third of the series called 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. And I just started it last week. And actually, probably this week it would be more effective more accurate, um, and he's talking about what happens with AI and when we get to the singularity. And a lot of the questions that I was posing in those two books, uh, in my way, he's posing in a different way that I just found fascinating was, you know, he's saying, we've been studying this issue of, you know, what are we here for? Or what is the meaning of life? We've been studying this for a few thousand years. And if we don't figure this out, <laughs> the machines are going to figure this out for us. And that's not his words. Mm -hmm. I'm 
obviously paraphrasing with my own confirmation bias, but I, I just thought that's right. interesting that we have for millennia studied these questions. Um, and we all think when we first pose them that we're the first one that posed it and that it's unique to us, but this is the human yearning for a couple thousand years that uh, it's, it's a pretty fascinating line of thinking to go down. So I'm glad you're, you're going your way in the book. Um, yeah. Let me ask, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I definitely don't think I'm the first person to ask those questions. You know, I know that a million people have, but these are the kinds of problems that excite me. When I see a million people have tried to address this issue with a book or a podcast or uh, a workshop or this or that, or and we still haven't provided a solution to people that changes the average experience. That tells me there are massive gaps in the solutions we've been able to provide. And as far as I'm concerned, um, as far as I'm concerned, like. The problem is still up for grabs for solving, you know? So I'm like, mm -hmm. let, let me take my, my grab at it. Yeah, for sure. What uh, book or books were most influential in your life for you that, that meant the most to you? I mean, what, what comes to mind when I ask that? Huh. Uh... This is interesting. So I guess I shouldn't ask that question to a millennial. I should say, do you know what a book is? <laughs> Have you no, ever I was going to say, I, I was <laughs> going to say, I didn't start reading until a year ago. <laughs> I really, <laughs> I know you always make this joke about us not knowing what books are. No, I have lots of books, but I will say reading never, ever, ever appealed to me ever until a year mm -hmm. ago. And so and what changed you know, the a year ago that made you, answer. well, what changed a year ago that made you excited about reading? What changed a year ago is, okay, and this is exact, this is a huge piece of what I address in this book. I say, you know, millennials are in pain because of the one reality that we're super, super aware of, and that is, uh, all the paths that we feel are currently paved and available to us are dead ends, right? People will disagree with us, but, you know, our parents busted their asses to pave this path for us that was supposed to ensure our success and our stability and our satisfaction. And from where they're sitting, the promised land is right at the end of that path, and we're five steps away, and they can't tell why we're sitting there doing nothing, pouting, acting lazy. But we're at the end of that path. We know it's a dead end, right? And so what changed for me was, getting to that place, realizing I did the good college, I got the good job, and the third stop on that train was supposed to be the promised land, and it's a dead end. So I got panicked, and just like my whole generation is panicked, scrambling, running around, wondering, well, where's the other path? Where's the other path? Well, that's the problem. We're, we, we are all eager, eager to get working, and we have no leadership. We, have, we don't have the answers we need. We don't have someone saying, okay, we understand you and here's where we're going. Do this and we're going to be fine. Do this, do this. You know, and I realize every generation takes its own stab at 
where is the real promised land and how can we build paths that get people there. I understand that. But uh, that's what changed for me. And I felt very isolated in that moment because I realized I'm at a dead end. My parents aren't going to understand what I'm trying to say. So they're going to think I'm, I'm lazy and ungrateful, right? And I just know that their path didn't work. Baby boomers' path didn't work because it made them unhappy and divorced and depressed and overweight and all these things. They gave up on themselves. They gave up on their own path and invested all their resources into building a path for us. That path didn't work because I'm standing at the dead end right now and know the promised land isn't here. And I just got scrambled and said, well, I don't know. I guess I have to start anywhere. I guess I have to try and learn anything or do anything. And I just ran to books and I was like, well, that's a bestseller. That made some people rich. That made some people happy. I guess I need to start reading. And we're all kind of doing that. <laughs> we're all kind of mm -hmm. doing that because we, we, we don't have the answers to the leadership we need. And so I want to change that. Mm-hmm. Who are your heroes? Okay. My heroes are This is okay, see this is such a great question because I don't think my heroes exist yet. I think they exist in their rawest form but with the answers and leadership that we can give them will turn into my heroes that I don't yet recognize. That's really how I, how I think. Um, my heroes in their rawest form are all of these kids sitting next to me that have just a disgusting amount of hope and are sitting on their edge, on the edges of their seat, ready to work the second they have the few answers or the few steps and direction that they need. Because I know that these kids, are gonna inherit their specialized problems and change the world. Like, those are my heroes. The one person that I would say does stand out to me, and, and interestingly enough, this person has taken the form of the millennial hero. He's not a millennial, but millennials are obsessed with him. And I myself am included, and that's Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. Everyone is obsessed with Gary Vaynerchuk. And I think for different reasons than I am, mm -hmm. but what I love about Gary Vaynerchuk is that I think he understands. I think he has gained access to a lot of his inheritance and has inherited some of his specialized problems and is doing his work at solving them. And, mm -hmm. and, and what people, what's interesting is the millennials aren't actually attracted to the specific problems that he's solving. They're attracted to the fact that he appears to have authenticated identity, direction, and purpose. And that's what we want. That's why we like him because he gives us hope that there, there must be some formula. And if we watch enough of his social media, maybe we can figure out what it is, right? Not going to happen. Mm -hmm. But we like him because he's representative of where we want to be, right? Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, of course. Good. Intriguing, intriguing. What's, um, what's the best place for people to find you? Where do you like to interact with people on the world wide web? I would say you get the most access to me on Instagram. Uh, okay. and, and, and your Instagram handle is I am Holly P or what is it? Yes. My Instagram handle is at I am Holly Pre. Hallie, H-A-L-L-E, and then P-R-E. Exactly. Hallie Pree. 
All right. I am Hallie yeah. Pre on Instagram. Yeah. And then I'm also I have some good stuff on my YouTube channel. You can search Hallie Pre, it'll come up. But I'm I'm trying to build a lot more on there. What I realize is I'm just sitting on too many thoughts, thinking they're common sense. We talked about this, Randy. You asked me what's going to get in your way of writing this book? And I said, looking at my ideas so long that I don't think they're, they're powerful anymore. And that is hands down the thing that I have come across the most in writing this book. And I've had to get to a place where I say, just assume if it's coming out of your brain, it's not common sense. <laughs> and just <laughs> write it anyway. Just do it. It's not common sense. It looks like common sense, but it's not. And I've just had to convince myself right through that through that issue. And uh, I'm, I'm having to convince myself also, condition myself to speak through the, that, that issue as well and just put more out there, put more tools and strategies and mindsets out there for people to, to use. You know, they do, they do no good. I have no type of – there's no way I'm going to mobilize my generation if I sit in my own little room and think about my own little ideas and hope they were, they magically transmute themselves into the next person's brain, you know? So got to get out there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Last final thought, any question you have for the audience, any um, advice you have for them? Any, is there something you would like them to do or some, if your next plane went down and it was the last, moment on earth anything you want to tell them <laughs> these are the the power prosperity subscribers they're really in every country in the world virtually really mm -hmm. conscious people they're really working on themselves a lot um, they're looking for how do they live lives more prosperously if that's a word i don't think it is uh, more prosperous, <laughs> how to live a more prosperous life. Any mm -hmm. questions, comments you would say to them? Yes, uh, a few things. I would say, first and foremost, thank you for listening. <laughs> Second, uh, if you're hearing me say this and you think, oh my God, this sounds like a bunch of just Ugh, gross, right? It's not real. It's not this. I would challenge you to, to, to ask, to look at that equation that I said, that I mentioned where we use distraction to manage our awareness and lower awareness equals less pain. If you don't feel like this, this pains you this much, this problem that I said has the whole world in crisis, if you don't feel like this pains you that much, question well, maybe my awareness is not that high and maybe I have distractions I don't even realize that are causing me to be less aware and less in pain. The other thing I would say is the strategies that I'm writing about in this book are not designed for millennials. They're designed for everyone. I think they'll make a difference for everyone and they're not something I've heard us talking about before. Uh, now that I read, you know, now that I know how to read and I've read some books and I've listened to podcasts and all that stuff, I haven't heard people talking about this. So I think these are strategies worth everyone's time. I'm just targeting millennials because they're, they're a group that's desperate 
for answers, you know. But um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to have this conversation, and I'm excited to write this book. And I would just say that I'm I'm incredibly open. And, and look, okay, you know, actually, here's here's the one thing I do want to say. Even very, very selfishly, we all need to feel a sense of urgency around teaching people how to gain access to their inheritance so that they can start solving those problems that only, only they are assigned to, right? Because you don't know who's assigned to solve the problems that will negatively impact you or your family. If someone's, someone's assigned to solving cancer or someone's assigned to solving uh, murder or suicide and those are the problems that are going to affect you, it shouldn't matter who's assigned to them. We need a field sense of urgency as an entire society to get people inheriting their problems and solving them. Uh, so that's what I would say. I hope this is a community issue through and through and that people get something out of this book as an individual, but also really feel a commitment to the community to, to make the shift that we can make to help people get to their inheritance. That's what I would say, Randy. Love it. And a perfect place to leave it. Thank you, Holly Pre, for being on. Thank you and for thank having you. me, Randy. Yeah, and we're gonna we'll get you back when the book comes out. We're gonna get you back and and do a show on the book. Uh, but for now, you guys can follow find her. I am Holly Pre on IG or search Holly Pre H A L L E P R E on YouTube. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Please share the podcast uh, and go out and have an amazing day, guys. Peace. Hey, thanks for listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Do me a favor and practice the circulation law of prosperity and tell people about Prosperity TV. So if you would, just put something up on your Tumblr, your Twitter, your Facebook, your YouTube. Uh, let people know what you think of the Power Prosperity podcast. Even take a screenshot of your phone and maybe post that picture uh, so we can build the community here at the podcast. Thanks, guys.